So I think what I would, the molding would be around like promoting learning over outcomes or learning over performance so that then you go into everything with like, I might fall flat on my face. And then what will I do with that? Like there's the value right there is like, I tried the thing and that was awful. And what am I going to learn? You're listening to Makes Me Noise podcast episode 404 with guest Sarah Dean. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hello, everyone. If you are somebody who listens to this podcast the day that it drops, then yesterday was Make Some Noise's birthday, August 31st. It's available. It's available now. You can get it online. You can get it via audiobook. You can get it via ebook. I can't wait for you to read this book and tell me that you like it. I, I can wait if you don't like it. <laughs> going to say no matter what you thought of it. And I'm like, well, <laughs> no, I, I just am really excited for it to finally be out and in your hands. It's it's It feels like it's been so long, but we've you know been in a pandemic. So that's maybe what makes it feel longer. I want to remind you that we are doing a book event. Unfortunately, because of COVID, we can't do a live book event, but we're doing the next best thing and we're doing it virtually. Warwick's Bookstore is hosting it, and it's going to be online. That way, anyone can come. You don't need to be local. It is September 7th at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7 Eastern. I know that's the middle of the night for those of you in the UK and Europe, and I don't know about Australia. I would have to do some quick math, but I sincerely hope that you can make it live. There's no place to sign up. You don't have to sign up for it, and it's going to be taking place on Facebook Live on the Warwick's Facebook page. So hopefully you're on my email list and you get my emails. I'm going to be sending that out to everyone so you have the link. And I will be posting it on social media. You can follow me on Instagram at HeyAndreaOwen. Oh, and I can't believe I almost forgot to mention, if you don't have a copy of the book yet, I highly encourage it. You might like it. AndreaOwen.com slash noise. The bonuses are still available, and we start the free book club on September 20th, 2021. We're going through four amazing, important chapters. They're all amazing and important, but these four I selected very intentionally because just trust me, just trust me. This is going to be one of those because I said so. <laughs> the chapters are take up some damn space, shine too bright, ask for everything you want. And then chapter nine is stop ignoring the brainwashing that we all got. These are going to be excellent conversations. We're going to be doing some digging deep and unlearning stuff and relearning new stuff. So andreaowen.com slash noise. You can get all the information there for the bonuses. 
All right, so we're still in the MSN series that I have. I think we're maybe halfway through, may, something like that. But I, I hand-selected women specifically asking about how they make noise in their life. How do they define self-confidence? How do they work on their self-confidence? Questions like that. Sarah Dean is here. She is a friend and colleague of mine. I admire her self-confidence and tenacity and resilience so much. I had to have her on for this series. These are also on YouTube. We're on video. So if you want to see that, if you like watching on video and see that I got dressed up that day, you can head on over to my YouTube channel. The link is also in the show notes. For those of you who are new to Sarah, let me tell you a little bit about her. Sarah Dean is the creator and host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast, which has been featured in five categories of iTunes New and Noteworthy. Sarah's biggest passion is helping women own their space. After enduring her own identity crisis following the birth of her son, Sarah took her background in psychology, health, and wellness and rebuilt her identity one step at a time. Sarah motivates and inspires women to stop shrinking and start growing. She is on a mission to inspire women and moms in particular to live bigger, bolder, braver, hashtag every damn day. So without further ado, here is Sarah. Sarah Dean is on the show again. Yay. So happy to be here. I should just make you my co-host. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm here for it. I feel like if someone has a podcast co-host, it needs to be like, you know, one person is the main person which would be hard for us. We would be wrestling. <laughs> we are both for airtime. <laughs> we're both too controlling. <laughs> the, the, reviews, the reviews would not be good. <laughs> the reviews would be, it would be review after review of either Sarah's talking over Andrea yes. or Andrea's talking over Sarah. <laughs> yes. That we both need to stop cutting each other off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Too much energy in the room. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of energy, I wanted to hand select some people to come on to that that I admire, that are my personal friends, that I know would have, you know, tips and advice and strategies and things like that. Because I want women to hear more than just from me about the topics I go over in make some noise. So let's start with what is, I believe you know, two thirds of the way into the book, chapter 10 or 11, which is around confidence. So tell us about confidence and how you define it for you. Okay. I think I'm, I've given this a little bit of thought okay. and I was like, what is it? Like what, what's at the crux of it? So what I think it is, is you're being open to trying something without knowing what the outcome is going to be. Okay. That's scary. Right. But if you think about people and what made me think about this is that like, when I think about people that I perceive to be confident, it's not that they don't ever mess up. It's like, they're cool with doing things in spite of the fact that they might mess up. And for a control freak mm -hmm. like me, I want to do things that I know I'm going to be good. Like I would like a 99% chance of being good at something before I try it. Um, and I'm like, crap, is that a lack of confidence? <laughs> like I should be able to do it and just know being that it's human. okay to mess up and yeah. know that like that doesn't determine your value or your self-worth if you do it and it doesn't go well. Yeah. I mean, I have self-confidence and it's been learned, but I also would like a guaranteed outcome. I think that's just part of being human and, and we like safety. We like knowing what's next. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. 
Okay. So say that again. It's the knowledge. It's like the, tell me again, because I don't want to put words in your mouth. It's trying something without the knowing that the outcome will be favorable. Okay. Like just doing it anyway, kind of. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. The feel the fear and do it anyway. I, I describe it very similarly. And I just had this realization the other day over the weekend or last week. And we're recording this ahead of time. So I might have already talked about it on a podcast between now and when this comes out in the summer. And I grew up playing tennis and I played until I was about 14. My dad was my coach for a long time. And then I didn't play for 30 years. And then I came back a couple of years ago and I was at a, at a tennis clinic and the, the pro was talking about rushing the net Mm -hmm. and I'm assuming this is similar in other sports, like other net sports, like volleyball, you know, you can play in different positions, but then when you run forward, it's a more aggressive way of playing. And I suddenly remembered something that my dad told me when I was young, when I was probably like 11 or 12. And he said, given the opportunity, always rush the net. Even if you think that you're not as good of a player as your opponent, even if you're not sure you can return it, because it's it's um it's a way of playing offense and this is what i remember the most he said you're going to intimidate your yes. your opponent yes 100 and they're going to be afraid even yes. if you don't make the shots they are going to be intimidated that you are confident enough to rush the net and i I, I had, it was a kind of an, an emotional moment because my dad died in 2016. And sometimes, especially when I'm playing really good tennis, I miss him so much and I wish he was there. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I took that. Like that was probably the best advice he could ever give me. And I took that like into my life. And it's it's a little bit of a fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. But it's more so for me was about, I am going to do things that make people seem, I guess that is fake it till you make it. But I just, I didn't, it got to be so second nature that I didn't feel like I was faking it anymore. Exactly. So, okay. I love that example because I was reading research on women and men in confidence in the workplace a while ago. Mm -hmm. And they talked about the overconfidence of men. That's just like innate. And it's not, and the overconfidence isn't like cocky asshole behavior. I mean, sometimes there is that as well, but sometimes this this is just like general men in the workplace. And so there's this overconfidence. It's like, there's an assumption that they're just like, oh, I'm good at this. Or I may not know all the answers, but like, I'll figure it out. Don't worry. I got it. And when they act with this overconfidence very routinely, then they're given opportunities because other people assume that they will figure it out and that they know things. And women, on the other hand, do not act with overconfidence. And so women will be a little more hesitant around like, well, I'm not sure if I know that, or let me check, or I'll get back to you or someone, Bob in accounting knows better, that kind Mm -hmm. of behavior. And then they're given less opportunities because if you position yourself with confidence to your point with the net, other people are going to believe you, even if you yeah. don't believe in yourself. Right. So I absolutely You're gonna be like, Oh crap. I think it's totally a <laughs> She knows what she's doing. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I've done that. I mean, and I know you and I both in the work that we do, there's been so many ways that we've shown up with fake confidence where we're like, hope this goes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but then you do there it. You're like, it goes. Oh, I'm like, wing I, it. yeah. And you're like, I do know my shit. Like I it's, I totally know it but it sometimes we don't know it until we do it. And then we're like, oh yeah, see, like we need that after the fact validation to be like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I am good at that. I wonder if I read that same research or, or something similar. And one of the reasons that they attribute men in the workplace, just being more assertive mm-hmm. and, and 
you know, being deemed more confident is because as children, boys are typically, because we assign gender roles, Mm -hmm. boys are typically encouraged to wrestle with each other. And they also, um, they kind of razz each other a lot. Like I noticed this, especially with my husband and I'm like, why are you guys like, you just like shovel shit at each other constantly. And he's like, it's just a guy thing. Like it doesn't hurt our feelings. And, and I'm like, really? It's just, it's so odd to me that women tend to, we're, we're, we're different in that way. And, and when I read that research, it made sense. It was like, oh, men are boys, little boys are taught that this is how it is to be a little boy, quote unquote. And the research was saying when, when children do that, that helps them become more confident and resilient Mm -hmm. and be able to figure things out, like you were saying. So it was really interesting that we are socialized from a young age to to be the way we are. We're like positioned, we're poised for this from such, from so early on. Yeah. I want to just tag onto that. I remember when I was applying for my very first job, when I was a senior in high school, it was at Wet Seal, which if you're a Gen Xer, (laughs) you're familiar. Oh, yes. With Contempo Casuals and Wet Seal. Okay. And I remember standing outside of Wet Seal at the mall and being really nervous to go in there and ask for an application. And I I remember like taking a deep breath and kind of squaring my shoulders and just walking straight for the cash register at the opposite end of the store. And I asked for an application and it happened to be the manager. And then when she had called me for an interview and she came in, she told me the reason, because I had no experience before, zero like babysitting, you know, was on my, right, right. Was on my application. She's like, I called you because you, because of the way that you walked in and just immediately asked for what you wanted. And, and she was talking about how she likes to mentor like young women and things like that. And so I remember, I, I remember that and I was like, oh, that worked. Like she yes. noticed and yes. it matters. Yes. 100%. And I was 17 and I've taken that with me. And and people could, and I say this because people ask me like, how do you find the confidence? And and I'm just like, I just square my shoulders and walk in and rush the net. And I'm scared. I'm so scared. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I've like positioned myself for many speaking opportunities where in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm not really qualified for this, or I haven't done anything like this. So I assume I'm not qualified, but like, I want Mm -hmm. the gig. So I will tell people that I have the con like, I did this just a few months ago where I was like, I have all this done for you. If you would like me to bring this to your corporation. And then they said, yes. And I was like, oh crap, now I have to go make all that really fast. <laughs> um, but I think <laughs> oh, that was like, you didn't have it yet. You just had the ability to do it. Right. And I was like, okay, I think that they might go for this. I don't have this done yet. And I positioned it as if I did, because I knew I could come, I knew I could actually create it, but it was like that going to them and being like, Hey, I think you can use this. And they were not coming to me saying like, what do you have available to serve our community Mm -hmm. in 2021? And I went to them and I was like, Hey, I'm thinking your organization could use this. Let me know if you're interested. I was like, I mean, I hope their organization can use it. I wonder what they'll say. But then they said, yes. And I was like, awesome. I'll go make some PowerPoints. (laughs) <laughs> Great. Be right back. <laughs> right, right. They were like, when can we get See the scheduled? I was like, well, n- no rush. <laughs> My schedule's really packed the next right. like eight weeks. <laughs> Maybe like Q2, Q3. Not right, Not right now. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So we, we kind of talk, talked about this a little bit. I think, you know, what your answer might be, but hypothetically speaking, this is kind of a weird question. If you could like mold a woman from scratch, kind of like weird science, <laughs> again, dating ourselves in that movie. <laughs> if you could mold a woman from scratch, how would you teach her? How would you instill confidence in her? Mm, I think I would. So I was 
I was not, I want to say I was raised this way. I wasn't raised this way for some reason innately. I believed that I, that like performance equaled worth. And so like getting straight A's was always very, very important to me. Getting things right was very important to me. Being a high achiever was very important to me. The like learning from failure. No, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like if I might Mm -hmm. fail, I'm just not going to do it. So I think what I would, the molding would be around like promoting learning over outcomes or learning over performance so that then you go into everything with like, I might fall flat on my face. And then what will I do with that? Like, there's the value right there is like, I tried the thing and that was awful. And what am I going to learn? And it's interesting. I didn't play sports growing up. So that also limited my opportunities to fail. So again, I just got straight A's all the time. And then as an adult, it was hard, even as a young adult and in college, it was hard for me to try new things that like were not a big deal to the average person because I was like, I've only ever done things I'm good at, which was school. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've done. And it's interesting watching my son do things and not that he loves failure, but like, I mean, the kid cannot hit a ball to save his life in baseball, but he will go play baseball and on his team, like every single weekend at these games. And I keep thinking, is he going to like, tell me he doesn't want to do this anymore? No, he's like fine going and not hitting the ball. And that was uh-huh. so not me. And there's so many ways that he and I are similar and he likes to be a high performer, but he also is not unwilling to try new things and fail. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, that is a huge part. I feel like of confidence and I wish it wasn't this way, like the failing thing and like falling on your face. And, and those are two things that I talk about a lot in my keynotes is confidence and resilience. Cause I think they go hand in hand. I think they're sisters and you learn resilience from failure and Mm -hmm. massive struggle and even, even minor inconveniences. I feel like (laughs) you learn resilience, but I, I love that. And I do think that I, it it just is amazing to me, and I, I know this is going to sound like an absolute no duh thing I'm going to say here, and and a little bit cliche, but so much of who we are is shaped by our childhood, mm-hmm. and that duh, but that does not mean that you can't learn and grow. It's kind right. of like braces, like, and I know you have Invisalign. Like, it's so much easier to shape your to move your teeth when you're younger. Yes, it's <laughs> when you're an adult because oh they're God. like cement. Yes, 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 yes. But I think that, yes, you can still walk into things and fail and you can still gain self-confidence as an adult. And it, the way that you do it is small things, small pieces of action. Mm-hmm. That didn't sound very good. Small pieces, small pieces of, of action. action. Just do some small pieces of action. But I also think that like, if you do it, if you fail a few times and then you have to figure some things out, then you start acknowledging and owning that you're someone who can figure the things out. And so then right. I, like, I think failure is much less daunting now than I did 20 years ago, even though the stakes are mm-hmm. higher. Like I have a family and a house and like my kids in school, like all these things, like <laughs> I rely on income for more things than I responsibility. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, but when something doesn't go the way I expect it to, I'm like, oh, so that means something. What does that mean? And what am I going to do with that? And so this even comes Mm -hmm. down to like, you know, if I launch a program and it doesn't sell very well, then I'm like, okay, maybe I don't do that program. It's either do do I not do the program and I do something else. And awesome. This just made space for me to do something else instead. Or do I revisit how I want to do it? Or do I like, it it creates space for other options. And I think that 
you know, 20 years ago, I was like, oh, this just created space for me to lay on the couch and be a miserable person and feel sorry for myself. Right. And now it's like, oh, that just created space for some other options for me to figure some things out. And I'm really good at figuring things out. And especially, mm-hmm. you know, having been an entrepreneur for 20, for 18 years and, or being a mom or whatever, like there's all these things where now I can, I can embrace that. Like, oh, I'm really good at figuring things out. So what am I going to figure out from this? Curiosity. Yeah. That is yeah. different than just laying on the couch and feeling sorry for yourself is, and that part that I think that just comes from growth and evolution and maturity. Hey everyone, interrupting this conversation to bring you a few words from some of our sponsors. As I've mentioned before, I'm a little late to the CBD party, and I now have a favorite CBD company, and that is Onyx and Rose. They offer the highest quality CBD products on the market, and their skincare line is so thoughtfully crafted. I've been using the Overnight It sleeping mask for a few weeks now, and I went to get a facial a few days ago, and my esthetician I see regularly said, your skin looks totally hydrated. Y'all, this is... I don't think it's ever happened. And I drink more water than probably the average human should, (laughs) considering how much I go to the bathroom. And my skin was not dehydrated. And the only change that I made was using this every night. I also take their Pure Bloom tincture every morning as I, right now I'm in the midst of a, you know, more or less a battle at my daughter's school. More on that later. Plus the stress of a book coming out in a few days as I'm recording this to you. And as both of those two things are happening in my life, I'm like, meh, it's fine. And I thank this CBD supplement by Onyx and Rose for that. Plus all their products are non-psychoactive and allow you to experience the therapeutic benefits of CBD, which as you know, someone in recovery, and I know many of you are in recovery, that's very important to us. So I want you to make Onyx and Rose part of your daily routine. You will love it. And I have an amazing deal to get you started. 20% off your first purchase. They do not offer this anywhere else. Like there's not just a random pop-up on their site. This is for my listeners. So go to onyxandrose.com slash noise and use promo code noise. And again, you won't get this 20% off anywhere else. It's onyxandrose, O-N-Y-X and rose.com slash noise. So I've recently got into Ayurveda. If you aren't familiar, it's a system of holistic health and it's really helping me feel better because since I've entered my 40s, I've been leaning on supplements to help support various challenges. (laughs) And I'm super excited to tell you about the Ayurveda company I love, and that is Banyan Botanicals. They carry a ton of Ayurvedic products that can support many aspects of health, like stress management, joint and bone health, and even sleep. And there's so much they can do. The, The reason that I took so long to get here is because I've known about Ayurveda. And every time I looked it up and I'm like, I don't know what type I am. I I don't know. I was overwhelmed and I would just walk away. So Banyan Botanicals makes it so easy with their online dosha quiz, considered one of the best out there today, I might add. It's free, of course, and it's super fast, super easy. It takes just about 10 minutes. And then from there, you'll understand your Ayurvedic body type and be given personalized recommendations to support your health. Super, super easy. My favorites that I've been taking, I've I've tried a few different products and I love their Tranquil Mind supplement as well as their Stress Ease supplement because I'm dealing with something here in my personal life that is very stressful and it causes me to not be able to focus and be so sort of overtaken by it. This has 
completely helped. So go to banyanbotanicals.com slash noise and click the green button at the top to take the free dosha quiz for yourself today. My listeners of Makes Me Noise podcast will even get a promo code for 20% off your first purchase and you can't get that much percentage off anywhere else. So remember, Banyan, B-A-N-Y-A-N botanicals.com slash noise to take the quiz and then get your 20% off banyanbotanicals.com slash noise. You've heard many of the guests here on the podcast who are licensed therapists, and you know I encourage everyone to go to therapy. I'm proud to have BetterHelp as one of our sponsors because there's so many things I love about their service. When you sign up for BetterHelp, they'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Their license Licensed professional counselors specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and their service is available for clients worldwide. I want you to start living a happier and more fulfilling life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com dot com slash kickass. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash kickass. And thank you so much for supporting our sponsors because that in turn supports this show. Can we talk about self-trust for a minute? Because I know that you love this topic and I yes. feel like self-trust is so intertwined with self-confidence. So how did you come to to really involve yourself with this topic and understand how important it is in your evolution? I think probably because there's been a huge lack of it in my life. Okay. <laughs> but like kind of pinpointing. I think it's common for women. Yeah. It's like pinpointing that, pinpointing how I feel on the out, on how I feel on the inside, as opposed to like all the evidence that is stacked um, in opposition to how I feel. So, and that means like feeling like, things aren't going as well as I want them to be, or things are, are this, this, this example of a launch again, like I launched something and it didn't go that well. And that means that I am stupid and my thing sucks and I'm not a good marketer and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not good at coaching or whatever. And mm -hmm. so that's like, of course, like the lack of self-trust. Right. And then like the evidence on the other side is like, go look at your 700 reviews on iTunes or go look at the testimonials from this pro the people that just did this program last month, or go look at the people that, who you just were on coaching calls with yesterday who had these like major wins. Like that's the evidence on the outside. Right. But when you're in that moment of something not going your way, you have the spiral of like, I'm just worthless and I'm doing the wrong thing. And I'm going to go lay on the couch and cry. And mm -hmm. the truth, the truth is that the truth inside, like you have to dig to find that truth inside of you. And you have to remind yourself what, and I'm going to, I'll take it back to Glennon Doyle because why not take it? <laughs> it all goes back to her. All goes, yeah. I mean, it's either Glennon or Brene, right? So today uh -huh. it's Katie Glennon. So, okay. so Glennon says, what is, and she talks about this in Untamed quite a bit, but she says, what is true and what is beautiful? So you have this like really awful outcome and you feel completely defeated and you feel like a failure and you're frustrated and you're overwhelmed and you don't know how to recover from it. And then you look at what is true and what is beautiful that failure does not mean that you're a bad person, that you're stupid, that you're not qualified. What is true and what is beautiful is that like something went wrong or it was whatever. There was a piece that didn't work 
but that doesn't mean that you're a bad person. What is true and what is beautiful is like, you're still a great person. You're still a great mom. You're still a great entrepreneur. You're still a great coach, all these things. So I think that's where my obsession around self-trust has been like the constant need that I have to remind myself of those things, like how much I have to circle back to that myself. And then as I talk about that in my own stories, how many women are like, oh my gosh, I relate to that. And I relate to that. And so I have this like cycle of, uh, or the circle of self-trust that I talk about with people now. And you can like really graphically look at like, what does it look like when self-trust is broken and how does that cycle become incomplete? And what do you do with that incomplete cycle? And do you leave it right there and let it stay incomplete? Or do you close the loop so that you can keep going and building upon the thing that didn't go your way? So what would closing the loop look like? Yeah. Okay. So this, I told you I had slides. I'm not going to, for people, well, I'm not going to screen share, but I'm going to look at my slides so that I can make. Okay. okay. I'm super, I love a good process. I did a PowerPoint for you, Andrea. Okay. So, oh my gosh. Um, okay. Get more than I bargained for. I know. Okay. So, um, so the broken cycle of self-trust would start like at the top of a circle, you would have an action step. So you take a step, then the next step would be at like nine o'clock on the circle or three o'clock, whatever on the side, mm-hmm. whichever <laughs> so way you're on the going. Side of the circle. Mm-hmm. So you take an action step and you miss the mark. So you, some sort of failure, things didn't go the way you expected. After you miss the mark, you have this missed goal. Then you feel defeat, right? You're like, Oh great. crap, that didn't go that way. Okay. So here's where you get the, the next step becomes really crucial because what typically happens, we miss the mark, we feel defeat. And then we assume blame. We're like, well, I messed this up because I'm really bad at this. And because mm-hmm. I shouldn't have even done it. And who did I think I was to even try? And because Bob and accounting is always more qualified than me. And then the last step where it becomes incomplete is we just stay small. We're like, well, next time I'm not going to try that thing, or I'm not going to go for it or whatever. And now we have this space where we, we don't take the next action step. Yeah. So then the, the cycle stops. If we look at what that could look like when we complete the cycle of self-trust is that you have, you take the action step, you miss the goal, you feel defeat. Cause like you're human, you're still going to feel upset, defeated, frustrated, Mm-hmm. But then instead of going into assuming blame for everything and deciding that you're worthless, instead you remember, no, actually, I'm still a very worthy human being. I'm still very qualified and intelligent. And then you own your power that like, okay, this didn't go as I thought it would, or as I hoped it would. And what is true and what is beautiful is that I'm still really strong. I'm still really capable. I still have all these other talents. So what is my next action step going to be based on that, based on what is true here? And then you take another step and you decide, you can decide what that's going to be. And what happens when you do that and you repeatedly take the next, you you keep that cycle, uh, you close that cycle, then the cycle starts to become action step, experience a win instead of missing the mark. Mm -hmm. And then you feel hope and then you see potential and then you have elevated courage. And then you're like, I'm going to try again. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then you keep, you know, then you have this upward trend of growth and success in different ways. I love that. That's so interesting. That's an interesting process and, and, and way of looking at it. You know, I still haven't read untamed. It's so good. I know I will. I I will. After like this book, my really good friend who I've been trying to turn on to Glennon Doyle for years, I keep giving her Glennon's books and she's like, I can't, I just can't. She's like, she's like, I read two chapters. It's not my thing. I'm like, how can it not be your thing? I love it for everyone. Yeah. I, I just, I haven't read it because I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of crossover with my book and I just mm-hmm. want to be like clean about it. Yeah. But um, that the, what is true and what is beautiful reminds me of my friend, Elizabeth Dialto said, what is 
what is your truth and what is versus what is your conditioning? And that's something mm, I talk about in the book yeah. because we have, you know, been conditioned a certain way. And I, I think for me, that's where a lot of my self-trust is a breakdown. You know, I don't, I don't trust that I know the answers. I don't trust that I can recover on the other end. I don't trust that, um, you know, if I'm not met with the kind of support that I want from someone that I can have that hard conversation. And, and sometimes I've, I, I always often have these epiphanies in the car, you know, when no one else is in the car with me <laughs> and it's Mine quiet. Shower. I have those too. Shower, folding laundry. That's why I actually don't mind of all the chores of all the household chores. I'll do laundry. It's your therapy. My mom, my mom used to call it therapy. She used to call it therapy. Like I'm going to go do some therapy and she'd do laundry. Yeah, I love it. So, um, and I had this epiphany of like, what if I, what if I trusted myself all the time? Like, how would my life change? You would be like, just like a mediocre white man. <laughs> like, that would be amazing. Right? <laughs> to have that kind of self-trust, which would bleed over into self-confidence and just, yeah. and just the, the unbotheredness. Yeah. I want that level of unbothered of, of like the chatter would stop of like, what if it doesn't work out and what are people going to say? And then what am I going to mm-hmm. do if that happens? And what am I going to do that constant chatter from, I think that's just, you know, my anxiety DNA, but I just want the level of unbotheredness of just being like, Oh yeah, well it'll work out. Okay. And if it doesn't, that's fine too. Right. And I agree 100%. And also I don't know if anyone doesn't have the chatter and the way, so like people listening to this, if people who are fans of your show or fans of my show would probably assume that we don't have that chatter. Someone today, someone was telling, I was on a coaching call and my client was like, she's like, you know, cause just of all the massive success you've had. And I was like, huh, what? The what? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like constantly reminded of where other people see me versus where I see myself. And this is for like mm-hmm. any leaders and not to th- say that, like, I think I'm awful and not good at things, but like, I'm just always like, I'm just an average person doing my best. And yeah, it, it has great impact on people's lives, which is amazing. But when I look at other people's work and you and I follow some of the same people and same mentors, and I sometimes think that like, we look at their work and we're like, they figured it out. Like they finally know how to do it all without being shaken by it. Like they've gotten Mm -hmm. through those barriers around self-trust and self-confidence. So they just do it and they don't like zero F's and how do I get there? And I don't think that they're there. I think that like, we're assuming that they're there, just Mm -hmm. like our clients are assuming that we're there and our clients are like, Oh, like Sarah made it or Andrea made it. And they know it and they figured it out. And I just want to be like them. And we're looking ahead at our mentors in the same way. And the truth is, and I think you and I have met some of our mentors at high levels in order to see that like, it's, it's a show for everyone behind the scenes, like everyone just figuring it out as they go, which is in some ways, very refreshing because you're like, okay, cool. That means I can do it too. Like, I don't need to know everything. It's okay to keep going imperfectly. And then also it's a little bit like, oh shoot. Like I'm never going to be like, now I got it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always really transparent with people, like what it looks like behind the scenes. And by behind the scenes, I mean, like in my head, I still have the negative self-talk. I just catch it very quickly. Like it doesn't get away with it for very long before I'm like, I see you and we're not doing this today. So I'm, I have the ability now to use my tools much more quickly than I used to. And I don't let my negative self-talk very often. It does happen sometimes. I don't let it dictate my behavior, which I used to do. So I would let it stop me. I would let it um, play small and things like that. And again, I still do to some extent, but like the unbothered that I'm talking about is just to be, 
I imagine that a lot of men, and I do, I know that they have their pressures. Their pressures are different than ours. And I don't think that one is worse than the other. Well, maybe a little bit, but I think they're unique. Yeah. To me, I look, look at it is that, and I'm very speaking generally here, and I don't mean to stereotype that men tend to not have so many browsers open all the time. <laughs> yeah. Things that they're thinking about and worrying about and stressing about. 100%. That's what I would like. Maybe I need to just like smoke some marijuana. <laughs> Maybe that's the answer. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think, <laughs> I think that I think, and I think that, yeah, I think that that's a lot of it. Yeah. And I also, I well, think that I, I assume that I'm like, at some point I'll get to start closing some browsers. And then, and my assumption is that there's people who are, uh, who have gone ahead of me, who are above me or done things to a higher degree than me and that they've closed some browsers. And then sometimes I start seeing behind the scenes and I'm like, mm, no, they haven't really so much. Still got a lot of browsers yeah. open, still a little messy. Yes. Well, I want to ask about intuition because that's one of the things I also write about in the book. And and I do think that it's, it's very, it coincides with self-trust. Mm-hmm. So has there ever been a time in your life where you have used it to make big decisions where you were nervous that you weren't making the right decision? Like, is this my intuition? Is this fear? Like, can you tell us about your experiences with your gut? Um, I'm really bad with my gut. Okay. <laughs> so I Do you need to eat more yogurt. Yes. <laughs> a lot of probiotics. I, um, I think I've have always been really good at dismissing my gut. And then after the fact being like, Oh, I should have listened kind of a thing. Yeah. Not through like making mistakes, but more like inst- instincts around people and relationships and, and trying to like force that, like having a feeling about something, but like trying to force it and make it work anyway. Um, when my husband and I were looking at houses, I remember like every house we looked at, I was like, no, I think we can make it work. Like, what if we just did this and this and like remodeled this and this, He's like, no, like, we're not going to try to make, we're not going to try to, we're not going to find a house that we're going to try to make work. Like there's going to be a house out there that is meant for us already. And Mm -hmm. which was extremely frustrating to me because he wanted to like shop around. And when we walk in the right house, we'll know. And I, I was like, I don't, I didn't have that level of trust at all that that would happen. And so instead, and we had these battles in the backseat of the realtor's car where I was crying and like, we can just fix this and we can add on a third story and we can do this and build a barn and like whatever. Oh, wow. (laughs) It was a lot. I mean, and this is in Seattle, the housing market is a whole situation. That's what I thought. Um, So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, but anyway, but to your point around your question around intuition is that like, I wasn't listening to my gut. I was trying to just make everything work. And that is like my like blinders on, make it work, figure it out. And so I've had to really train myself to listen to my gut and I've gotten so much better at it. And since becoming a mom, not in the first three years of motherhood, but since then, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, but I think it's because I was so lost in that experience. Like those first three Mm -hmm. years, like it's just everything fell apart in terms of who I thought I was going to be in motherhood and trying to return. I spent a lot of those first three years thinking that like, I would eventually quote unquote, go back to like my old self and then Mm -hmm. having to reckon like, Oh, I'm not going to go back to my old self. And so now what does that mean? And what am I getting, who am I moving forward? And that required the listening in and the checking in with my intuition. So with that came, okay, what now, who do you want to create? And so I think in the, so that's been five years now. And so in the last five years, I've gotten much better at listening to what I want to create and 
taking my pulse around that very routinely, but I have to constantly check in with myself because that's not been my conditioning. My conditioning was like, whatever you have in front of you, make that thing work instead of like, listen in. And if this isn't working, like, let's listen into why it's not working and where do you want to go from here? Yeah. Intuition is tricky. I talk about in the book, um, you know, for those of you who haven't read it, one of the things I really, this is just a side note. One of the things I wanted to make sure that I touched on that I have not touched on in a previous book of mine is around trauma Mm -hmm. and how that relates to intuition. Because as I was doing research, I was asking women, um, if there's there anyone who has an experience with having a really hard time listening to your intuition, and did you have childhood trauma? Like you don't need to tell me what the trauma is, but just do you think that they're related? And I I got a few stories, and and one of the stories in the book is from about a woman who was basically like should have um, there was some mental illness, and um, I also got a quote from a psychologist who was talking about like when children are gaslit, when they're they're made to feel that their reality, not only that their reality is wrong because nobody will talk about the problem that's happening in the house, right. and or the the people that they're supposed to trust the most, they can't, mm-hmm. which is their primary caregivers. Mm-hmm. You're likely going to grow up not being able to trust your gut instincts yes. because you're told that they're wrong. Yes. And so I just want to say that for anyone listening who hasn't hasn't read the book yet or listened to the book, it was very important to me that I that I express that caveat. Um and I also want to say can I you know based on your, before Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead, go for that? it. So yeah. 100% and that was my situation is like because I was in a situation when I was really young where things had to be figured out and I and trust was broken. And it was very much like, who's going to take control of this? And it was me. I was like, I'm going to take control of this. I'm going to figure this out. Like I'm going to be in charge. And so, and so for me, it's, that was immediate, like a shutdown of, of listening to intuition and more like surviving in whatever conditions you're given um, and making those work for you. And so then to move out of that is definitely trickier and it takes practice. It takes like so much practice to, tr- and, and I, I totally appreciate your point around being gaslit and like, which is something that didn't really happen for me until adulthood with the same person who broke my t- trust as a young child. Um, but like rectifying that the intuition around, I don't need this person in my life and deciding like how that's going to go down. And then having way more space to listen inward because after having made that decision Mm -hmm. and that, I mean, that, that created a lot more space to listen inward to be like, okay, like if I'm no longer going to make space for this, I'm going to follow my gut on this, that this is something I'm not willing to a relationship. I'm not willing to stand for in its current state. Then that makes space for me to make a lot of other decisions in that way too. And and entrust my gut around other things, even if they're hard, that it doesn't just have to be like survival mode and making things yeah. all the time. That's tricky. That is tricky. Thanks for sharing that. I didn't know that about you. I, I had a similar situation in the be- very beginning of my marriage. This my my current one that I'm in. Like, we've been married for almost 13 years. You know, I had a I had an egregious relationship before, and an, and an even worse divorce, and then a worse relationship after that. It was a rough period, and then, you know, it wasn't that long. And then I met Jason and then started really going to therapy. And there was, there was some moments in there where I remember telling Amy, 
my best friend and I was like, I don't know if this is my intuition that's telling me I shouldn't be married mm. or if I'm just terrified to be married. Right. Like I honestly can't distinguish between the two. Right. And, you know, at that point I had like written my first book and talked about, you know, the difference between your intuition and, and fear. And I even said either in a blog post or in my first book, like sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we don't know and we have to just make a decision on something Mm -hmm. and then see what happens in the end. So I decided to stay married and I decided to go to therapy alone and with him. And lo and behold, after two different rounds of trauma therapy, it was fear. It was fear and trauma that had made me so terrified to trust someone else, like to be in an intimate relationship with someone. And all that to say, like, I wanted, I wanted to bring this up because I think that there's a lot of people out there who keep hearing, like, just trust your gut. Your intuition is your friend. The universe has your back. And like, those are all great sentiments. And that's all true. And there's some people who just can't. It's so much more layered than that. Like to say, just trust your gut, just trust your gut is bypass for most people requires a lot of bypassing. Or for many yeah. people, it requires a lot of mm-hmm. bypassing of other things. And I was frustrated and I was like, is something wrong with me? Like, <laughs> I can't, I can't distinguish which one it is. And yeah, yeah. trauma is a real shit show. Wow. <laughs> That's going to be the title of my next book. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it's perfect. <laughs> well, let's, let's shift gears and talk about mindset for a minute. Because I talk in this book specifically about create. And it it is kind of like, you know, personal development 101, a little bit of, you know, creating narratives that work for you and that are empowering versus different, uh, you know, different narratives. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this series is because I wanted to get, you know, different people's take on that. So how do you talk about mindset? Like what kind of strategies work for you? Mm. So my mindset strategies are super dorky, um, but they've worked for me for a really long time. And it's how I manage anxiety. And so, so my previous career prior to having my podcast, prior to having the Shameless Mom Academy and being a life and business coach in that context, I was in the fitness industry and had a gym. And so as a result of being in that industry, um, I have morning, a morning routine around like you get up and you work out and you like get your mind straight for the day and you go. And that's my, like, that is my mindset medicine is getting Mm -hmm. up and working out. And for me, it's like, that is just what, when I talk about it in terms of like why it matters, and this is where it sounds really dorky, it's getting up and proving that I'm strong every day. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's dorky. I think it's uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I just, I feel because well, I feel like as a former f- person in the fitness industry, it's like super cliche to be like, well, you know, I get up and I do my workout every single morning, and that's like you know the best medicine. I feel like that's like such an eye roll for the most of the world. But it's I think me, cliches what, are cliches for a reason because they're true. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Like, but <laughs> it really, really works for me. And I actually was having this um, a conversation with my therapist last last week, the week before, um, and I was just like. I had two hours um, after we got done with therapy. I was like, I have the two hours left today and I have 37 things I need to do. And I'm, my mind is spinning and I just feel like I can't control any of it. And like my anxiety was just like really, really ramped up. And she was like, what's the one thing? She said, you're not going to do 37 things. You're allowed to do two things. What are the two things that you need to do in the next two hours? 
Uh-huh. And then, so I started going down the, I'm like, no, I can only, it needs to be like 18 things. Like I can't literally can't. Uh-huh. Really do. So finally she was like, she got me to kind of commit to like two or three things. And then she's like, what do you need to do when you get off this call to make those things happen so that you can go do those things over the next two hours without your mind spinning. And I was like, I need to go get on the Peloton and the getting on the Peloton was not on the list of things to do, but I was mm-hmm. like, I need to go get on the Peloton for 10 minutes and it will be like my reset. It will be my mental reset, my emotional reset. It will remind me that I'm strong, that I'm powerful. And I know the way my body works, that something magical will happen when I am in this state yeah. and I make myself go sweat for 10 minutes. And so of course, like I got off and I was like, oh my God, I have like 18 ideas of how to fix the problems for the two things I need to do after this. And, and that's, for me, that's the thing. Um, for other people, it might be journaling or meditation. It's like whatever you do that as a routine that is simple and automatic, it doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's simple and automatic as a go-to response um, that allows you to reset your mind. And so, and some people might not have that thing or know what that is. And so then what is something that you can do as a routine for two minutes? And so maybe it's two minutes of breathing or two minutes of standing and staring out the window and having a cup of coffee by yourself. Like, Mm-hmm. whatever that thing is, it just gives you that reset. Yeah. I like that. That reminds me of, um, and I, I talk about this in, in the book, Jonathan Fields. What was the name of the book? I think it was called Certainty or maybe it was called Uncertainty or something like that. Uh, he talks about what he calls certainty anchors. And they're those things, like when we're feeling really ungrounded and anxious, yeah. like what are the things, these small pieces of action, <laughs> say it again. These small bits That's of action. The book. <laughs> small pieces of action. Pieces of action. Um, sounds like my twenties. Um, <laughs> that you can do that that help you feel grounded. That that bring you a sense of calm and safety. Really. Yeah. Yes. You know, it could be something as like a walk around the block. You know, sitting down and petting your dog or your cat. You know. Maybe it's like scrolling through Instagram. I don't know, but like whatever it is that brings you certainty. For me, it's like the way that I make my coffee. You know, with a pack of Splenda and some nut pods because I can't do dairy anymore because oh my stomach. (laughs) Anyway, certainty anchors. Like, what are those things? And I love that. Mm -hmm. It's. I never. I never sort of connected the dots within mindset, but it it makes a lot of sense because mm -hmm. if your anxiety is spinning, you can't. That when anxiety is is through the roof, like that is a giant written beautiful invitation for my inner critic. Yes, yes. that is my inner critic is like, oh, you're you're welcoming me in. <laughs> I've been summoned. <laughs> right, right. And then I think you have to make space for something new. Like, how do you make space for something new? So the way I make space for something new is through motion, like through moving my mm-hmm. body. And other people I know do it through meditation, which I keep trying. I envy those people. I meditate a little bit. Same. Yeah. I I have to remind myself with meditation that it is a practice and that I I think that for people like you and I who have these personalities that just run really high, Mm -hmm. that our meditation practice is probably just going to be sitting still for two, 10, 20 minutes, however long. And making lists. Not about... And making lists in your head of what you're going to yes. do when you're done. Yes. That's like all I can do. I literally, I'm like, first I'm going to place this grocery order and then I'm going to go clean these parts of the house. And then I'm going to do these things for work. And now I have like three lists of 37 things and I'm done meditating. How much time do I have left? In Which this? is Should also I open how my I eyes to check the timer. Yeah. <laughs> but I journal the same way. My journaling is always like my to-do list. Like, yeah, I'm like, I can't like sit and write like three paragraphs or three pages about like my feelings. I'm 
my journaling is like, here's my journaling is very that. short. Yeah. My journaling is usually like I answer a question, like a coaching question, and and it's just like a paragraph at the most. My um, therapist gave me this really great tip, which has worked well for me. And when she was back to like the idea of doing something for two minutes, she was like, I, she's like, how do you do with journaling? I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, oh my God, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, it mm-hmm. creates a lot of stress for me. She said, I want you to pick one word and write about that word for two minutes. So pick like power or strength or shiny or whatever, pick any word and write about it for two minutes. And I was like, oh, that I can do. So then I learned mm-hmm. that like two minutes is approximately like four to six sentences and they're usually really good. <laughs> yeah. I'm, done, I'm like, look at me. <laughs> I think that's really powerful. And, and people forget mm-hmm. how incredible it can be just these small increments, yes. small pieces right. of action, <laughs> right? Tiny. Any pieces of action. Okay. I have one more question. Yes. In this book, I talk about, there's a chapter around how you can use life challenges as invitations to show up in your life. So do you have an experience you can share with us? Have you ever had one of those happen to you? Um, so a life challenge is an invitation to show up. I'll use, even if you didn't show up, what happened? Well, <laughs> it didn't have to be like this harrowing moment. I think I have two that come to mind and both are like examples of talking about things publicly that people don't typically talk about. Okay. Um, so one was when we were trying to get pregnant with my son, we didn't talk. So we went through a couple of years of infertility and we didn't talk about it publicly at all. And it was really awful. And then when we tried to get pregnant a second time, which ended up not working, but I talked about it publicly as we were going through it. And that decision to like decide to talk about it versus not was so it made the experience so different to feel like supported and held. And what ended up happening is I got to hear so many other people's stories as I was sharing my own in live time. By talking about it publicly, do you mean like sharing it with your like close circle of friends or like on Facebook? But all of the, Oh, okay. So So I like even to strangers. Yes. So I was talking about it on the podcast. I was talking about it on social media because I was talking about the podcast that I just put out. So it was like a much more public thing. And what ended up happening at the end, we had, so we kind of, at the end of this journey, there was an ending um, that I did not see coming. And when that happened, what was, it was devastating in ways I didn't expect it to be. And that lasted for a long time. But what was really powerful about that moment was people showed up on my doorstep with like flowers and champagne and candy and treats and phone calls and texts and like all these things. And when we had gone through this experience prior when we were trying to get pregnant with my son, the first time it was so lonely. Like it was literally like sitting at the dining room table, crying by myself at 5am before I went to teach boot camp. And those, the polarization of those two experiences mm-hmm. were like, it was so life-changing to see that like people want to show up if you, and people want to connect with you because so many other people have been there and yeah. that you don't know because they haven't, because you haven't, um, because no one talks about these things. And so yeah. more recently I've been talking about um, anxiety and being clinically diagnosed this year with anxiety and PTSD and what that has looked like. And again, it's like, every time I tell someone they're like, oh my gosh, me too. Or I just started medication for this, or I've been through that, or my child's going through that, or my partner's been through that. And all of a sudden I'm like, I was thinking I was a weirdo because I have PTSD over something. I don't think people should have PTSD for. <laughs> And okay. Now I'm super curious about that. Like I didn't, I didn't know this about you and yeah. I didn't know that you, so you were trying to get pregnant after you guys had Vinny. Yes. Okay. Well, but, so we went through infertility stuff to get pregnant with him. And then th- a few years later we went through it again. 
Okay. Um, and then, and then it was, we kind of, at a certain point, <laughs> at a certain point you draw the line in the sand, you're like, how much more money are we giving to the fertility clinic? <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, and, and just wasn't like the chances just weren't looking good. So, we, okay. Yeah. We finally just opted yeah. out of that. When you said people brought you champagne, I thought that it was like some kind of celebration. No, sorry. Like, no, are you pregnant? <laughs> no, 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 no. So I didn't okay. No, People were like, yeah, I know that sounds celebratory. No, people just like showed up like with loving gifts. Gifts. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So no, it wasn't. And I'm, I'm like, I've been talking to you offline and you didn't right. tell me you were pregnant. No. And no, I had a baby last week. You didn't know. <laughs> no, but it was just this present people brought like, I, I mean, it was gifts, but yeah, it wasn't in yeah. celebration. It was more in like, um, in more gifts of mourning, which for okay. some people is champagne. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if I was still drinking, I would take it. I loved a good mimosa right. yeah, or right. just champagne. <laughs> right. 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 It's all. Um, yeah. So talking about it and just asking for help and accepting, I, that's what I always say, like, let people love you. That can sometimes yeah. be the scariest thing And I ever. don't even think it needs to be an asking for help. I think it can just be like letting people know like, Hey, I'm going through this thing or I went through yeah. this thing. And it's interesting to me, like when I <laughs> recently was telling a friend, I'm like, oh, I'm on this medication for anxiety and I wanted to tell her about it. Cause in my mind, I'm like, this is like, you should tell your close friend that you see a lot. You should tell her these things like right away. Like you have a, it's your duty as a good friend. And she's like, oh yeah, I started taking medication for ADHD like six months ago. And I was like, what? I'm like, but you, what? You didn't tell me. I was like, we're supposed to tell each other these things. Feeling betrayed. Right. <laughs> but she was like, she didn't tell anyone because she felt like, for her, that felt like we should keep those things private. Like that's not the kinds yeah. of stuff you talk about. And I was like, no, can we please talk about that? I mean, when I, when I got back on medication during, during the pand during the beginning of the pandemic, I told a handful of my friends, but I didn't send out like a group text to like 25 people. <laughs> Like with like celebration emojis, Zoloft prescription coming through. So I told, I probably told like four or five people. Yeah, same. But via text. But now I've talked about it publicly. Like I did a podcast yeah. episode about it for May for Mental Health Awareness Month, and I talked about it on my personal Facebook page. It's amazing how many people have been like, "Oh, I have the exact same combination of yeah anxiety, PTSD, and HSP." For those who. <laughs> I'm an HSP too, highly sensitive person. So I am so happy that mental health is a conversation that is so different than it was tw 20 years ago. You know, I got diagnosed in 2003, so it was 18 years ago. And I was, I was ashamed that I was on medication. I hated the fact that I was on medication. I was embarrassed by it. Yeah. That is not the case now. And I, I still think there's things that are very, are, I think there's a spectrum of what's stigmatized and not. So I right. actually think like anxiety is a very acceptable mental illness. I even think, I think anxiety and depression are the two that are like the quote unquote acceptable ones. See, and I don't even think depression is as acceptable. Really? I think people are more secretive about that because anxiety mm -hmm. is often people who are high performers. So, okay. So I think that people, there's more of this like and you're still doing it all. And depression, a lot mm -hmm. of times you're not, and maybe you yeah. are, but a lot of times you're not. And I actually had a conversation with a mom friend recently. She's like, I talk about my, my anxiety. I don't talk about my depression. And the depression is the thing that really like holds me back in life. And I don't tell people about that piece. Cause that piece is, mm -hmm. that's like the, it's the harder one. And it's the, and I would say the same thing for someone who is like diagnosed with anxiety versus being bipolar, being diagnosed with bipolar. Like yeah. there's, I think there's a spectrum for what's acceptable uh, or not what's acceptable, but like what 
is stigmatized. Um, Cause what's deemed as like, you're still a functional human being. Yeah, exactly. Cause there's aspects of my anxiety that I don't talk about that often. Like now that you mentioned it, I've, I've mentioned it a few times. Like I have some OCD tendencies mm-hmm. as well right. as, especially when I had postpartum anxiety, when it was at its worst, there was some psychosis where mm-hmm. I was um, paranoid that somebody was going to come in and steal him. And I couldn't tell anyone about it because I was afraid that they were going to take him away from me. And that happened mm-hmm. again last year. So I know I have a tendency to like, my brain wants to go down that path. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those stigmas of like, mm, yeah, where my, my inner critic tells me like, that's where you draw the line. Like, don't tell people about that. Right. And I think when, when people, when we're talking about like bipolar disorder and I mean, even like schizophrenia, like that's, those are still, I think, heavily stigmatized and even yeah. addiction. Oh, is still, for sure. For sure. But I am, I'm glad that we're making progress, at least culturally and socially. Yes. Yeah. I, I agree. I'm counting on Gen Z to save us all. I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Z. We need to wrap up. Um, tell me, tell everyone where they can find you so they can go follow you on the Instagram. Yes. I'm at Shameless Mom Academy. So my podcast- And you have a podcast. My podcast mm-hmm. is The Shameless Mom Academy. And then on Instagram at Shameless Mom Academy- um, and yeah, they can find me there. And we have a Facebook group for moms at shamelessmom.com slash Facebook. If people want to be in community with other shameless moms, get more of you and all the other shameless moms. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, and thank listeners, you. thank you so much for staying with us this whole hour. Uh, please, please, please share this episode. You can take a screenshot of it wherever you listen to your podcast on your phone, tag me and Sarah. And remember everyone, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. 